I am going to try to do uh, this message in, a, in an appropriate time, but I promised us all that we would do a healing video during our Holy Spirit series. Uh, Hello, Holy Spirit is a new series we've started for the fall, um, and we'll start something different in the winter. Um, in the summer, we did Coming to Jesus series all about what it is to come to Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about Hello, Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we didn't have a chance to do the videos two weeks ago uh, for the past two weeks because we were at a place that had no technology. So uh, I wanna show you this video that happened in Brazil. I was there, uh, actually right, right by me, and um, I'll be the bald guy in the background. Um, but uh, this happened in Brazil where a, a young child with cancer um, got healed through a word of knowledge. You'll hear the Brazilian language, but just hang in there. They'll, they'll translate it later. But they, they wanted you to see the actual moment, you know, the actual testimony that it happened. Um, go ahead and play that, John. Thank you. The woman carrying the child is her grandmother. The woman in the green shirt is her mother. Tinha um tumor no cox? É, dava pra sentir? Bota... Não, ele tinha ficado enorme. Aí com as quimioterapias, ele tinha sarado um pouco, só tinha ficado um pouco no caroço. Aí depois, com o passar do tempo, a quimioterapia enjoou pra mãe. De junho pra cá, ela não tava conseguindo atingir por causa daquilo. Depois do tempo, tinha uma casca, tinha uma camada protetora. E a quimioterapia não tava mais conseguindo atingir. Mas você passava a mão aqui, você sentia que tinha um caroço? Sentia. E o que aconteceu agora? Sumiu. cancer in the sacroiliac right here and uh, there was a big lump a big uh, tumor can pode levantar a blusa mostra a tumor on the tailbone there was a big lump here you could see the tumor big right there and then um, there was a word of knowledge that cancer is disappearing got cancer in the in the back and then they stood up with the baby laid hands on the baby and the cancer disappeared mostra onde estava ele bota sua mão bem ali tinha uma bola sumiu totalmente it's disappeared, it's gone. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Cancer is dying in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Até o cancer morre debaixo do nome de Jesus, igreja. Se você está feliz, fique de pé. Glorifique o nome daquele. videos never get old for me. I've seen so many uh, amazing miracles. A hundred percent of the people you don't pray for don't get healed. Not everyone I pray for gets healed, of course. But it's not going to stop me from praying for people because 
Every once in a while, man, I see something like that that God does, and it's just so amazing. In two weeks, I'll show you a video of actually someone being healed on video. It's radical. I won't do it during Vinny's week. I'll do it the week after. But this is the God we serve. If you're visiting here, we are a charismatic church. We believe in healing prayer. We believe that God can heal you. And um, so we might seem a little crazy today, but um, hang in there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we believe that God can heal. And, and it's really amazing if you just stretch out your hand. Some people say, well, I don't have enough faith for that. It's like, you know how much faith you need? A faith of a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? It's like this tiny. Sometimes just stretching out your hand is that kind of faith. Just being willing to do it. Because it's not about you. You don't get the glory if they're healed. It's not about you. So, um, so sometimes people are scared to just step out and pray for people, but I promise you, if you do, you'll, be, you'll wonder why you don't do it more. <laughs> well, um, I wanna talk about allowing the Holy Spirit to speak truth to you. That's kind of the uh, title of the message today, and the reason for that is because um, I believe that the Holy Spirit is so empowered in our lives and we have this uh, right, we have this gift of the person, the divine person of the Holy Spirit to be within us when we receive Christ, it says we receive the Spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit constantly points to Jesus. And we have been given so much because we have the Holy Spirit with us that we're not alone. And Jesus says, to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I can give the Holy Spirit to you. So the Holy Spirit is our advantage, but oftentimes the biggest issue is not what the Holy Spirit can or can't do. The biggest issue is the war between our ears. We get in the way. We think because naturally being raised in a broken world, in a broken system like this, in a, in a state of sin, we think that our mind is the best leader kind of makes sense, like your mind has all the information, your processing power, you know, you make the best leader. My wife doesn't think I'm, you know, but you know, I think I'm the best, you know, my mind is the best, right? But the reality is, the way God created us, I believe our mind is actually the best follower of the Spirit. And when we allow the Holy Spirit when we allow our, our, the Holy Spirit to lead our life, our mind learns how to, and we learn, we get discernment to actually follow what God's actually doing. It is a lot easier to bless what God is doing in our life than for God to bless what we're doing. I'll just say that again. It is a lot easier to bless what God is doing in our life than trying to get God to bless what we wanna do. We have to change our thinking instead of thinking that we need to kinda of tag God along. God, I really want this new thing. God, I really wanna go in this new direction. God, I really want this opportunity. God, I want this, it's like, instead of us thinking that we have to like learn to, you know, bring God in, you know, kinda of like, uh, figuring out what he likes to kind of get him to come closer. The reality is, if we just follow what he wants to do, favor and blessing and opportunity will open up. I, I love this. Um, you know, I, I, I traveled with Dr. Randy Clark for 
um, really intense three years. The year I came on to uh, Dr. Randy Clark, who's a, a healing evangelist, you had seen him in that video. The first year I started, his kids had just, all his kids had gone out of high school and are into college, and they were kind of like empty nesters, and his wife had said, hey, if you want to travel as much as you want, you can do it these, you know, while our kids are in college. So he took that opportunity, and he traveled the most he's ever traveled in his life in one year is 265 days. That was the first year I started. 265 days, I was on the road with Dr. Randy Clark. The next year was 255 days, because he's like, 265 was too much. I was like, 255, what's that? The next year, he's like, this, we're gonna cut it down more, 245. The, four, the fourth year, he finally was like, we're gonna cap at 200. I'm like, thank God, um, still a lot. And, uh, and then I had traveled inter, inter, intermittently with him and then a lot on my own. But I, I just thought, that is a lot of time to spend with someone. When you equate all the hours that we spent together, it ends up being a lot of time. And actually, people will say, because he had interns usually for only one year, and then he had hired me as an associate after six years, so, six months. So um, uh, all his board members, all his, uh, a lot of his employees and staff will say, of all the interns and assistants that Dr. Randy Clark had ever had, Paul emulates in his preaching, in his speaking, in his behavior, more Dr. Randy Clark than anyone they know. Now, I never sat and took notes and studied the man like I wasn't going, okay, he moves this way or he does. No, what it was was Dr. Randy Clark had opened up a, he opened up his life to allow me to be with him even in all the little meetings he had, all the big major decision meetings he had, in, the, in, the, in those moments when we're praying for the sick before services and and, and just all these amazing moments. And I was so glad to know that the man who was on stage and a wonderful man on stage was actually the same man behind the scenes. His character was the same. It wasn't like there was two different people, which often might happen in sometimes of those situations. And so I got to really glean from him. You could tell I spent a lot of time with him. Has you, have you ever heard of a rule that uh, Dr. Mac, uh, not Dr., but Malcolm Gladwell had made really famous? It's called the 10,000-hour rule. Has anyone ever heard the 10,000-hour rule? It's a wonderful rule that they've studied um, that really just says, now this is just a, a general rule of thumb. It doesn't mean it's uh, true for everyone. But if you wanna become an expert in a certain area, they realize that you have to put in around 10,000 hours. They'll actually go and they, you know, oftentimes we see someone like Bill Gates, we're like, that man just was a genius, he just popped out of the womb and then boom, he created Microsoft. But the reality is, if when they studied his life, they're actually like, no, he had this rare opportunity to actually start coding in elementary school. His dad was able to give him access to a certain area and so many hours a day he was coding after school. And then when he got to uh, college, he uh, met with a certain man who was a roommate and they actually got along really well and they, there's this awesome opportunity and they started coding together. And then by the time he gets to Apple and then eventually creates Microsoft, he, by that time, he had already put in 10,000 hours of experience. And so oftentimes we see some people and their brightest, best moment, we're like, why can't we just be like that? The reality is that person usually put in almost 10,000 hours. Like when your kid might be like playing in the kids' room worship and practicing on that, it's like, that's good. Even though it's not this stage, even though it's not like at the, you know, isotopes field or whatever, they're putting in their 10,000 hours. I don't know, what's, what's a big concert hall here? 
I can't even pronounce that. But anyway, <laughs> I'm a newbie. He, you know, they're putting in their 10,000 hours. It's like, good, play another hour on that piano. Play another hour on that. Because they're building to the moment that they'll become an expert. They, there's a band that they studied. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this band. It's, it's a band of a bunch of British guys called the Beatles. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, they were before my time. I read about them in the ancient history books, um, but I, I've never met them or anything. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> weird, weird band names back then. I read about the Beatles and then the Monkees. I was like, what's up with all these? You know. Anyway, but the Beatles. You know, you think, oh, well, these are just a bunch of talented people. They threw together and then, bam put out this awesome album, but no, Malcolm Gladwell studies their life, says no, they actually had this opportunity to go to Amsterdam to play as a band, and they would play like five hour, six hour sets, like all through the night at this club, every night for a certain amount of time, and when you calculate all the hours that they put in as a band, before they build that album, they already put in 10,000 hours. Pretty amazing, right? I, I, I thought about this, I was like, you know, I wonder, you know, the disciples, they were only with Jesus for three years, but they were with him all the time. And so I did some math. I mean, math's not my major, you know, subject, but I, I'm not like amazed. I'm not an expert at it. Um, but, but I did use a calculator. And, um, and so I was like, what, what if we gave like some, did, did they have that kind of time? So if we said that the disciples were with Jesus for 10 hours a day, that's pretty reasonable for someone who's with him, traveling with him. So I'd say, okay, let's say they were with Jesus for 10 hours a day. Now, they were probably with Jesus, um, maybe not 365 days a year, maybe like he went off, you know, I know he would go off to a mountain, he would go to the desert once in a while. So like, maybe they were with him 350 days a year on average. That would be 3,500 hours a year that they were with Jesus. You times that by three, you get about 10,500 hours that they were with Jesus. Pretty impressive. You know, they probably had way more than that, but it's like when they're writing the Gospels and they're taking account, or when they're starting the early church, they had the Holy Spirit with them, but they also knew how Jesus would act. They knew how Jesus would answer. They knew how Jesus would respond in certain circumstances. They were with him so much, they probably emulated exactly who Jesus was. But then I was like, you know, what about church? Like, what, what if people end up compartmentalizing their time with Jesus to once a week at church? Like, they, they, they actually don't spend time with God uh, during the, the full week. They only spend time with God, like, every time they come to church, and that's what their, their, their thinking is. That's what their experience is. So I, so I, like, did some math, and I thought, if... You know, there's 52 weeks in a year, but um, I figured, let's just calculate 50 weeks, because you guys get vacation two weeks a year, and, you know, are you guys all right? <laughs> you okay? But I'm like, if you get, you know, because you guys usually come every week, but, you know, I'll give you two weeks off a year, all right? So if that's your time with Jesus at church, 50 weeks a year, and I figure, I'll give you two and a half hours, because we're a charismatic church, if we were like a different church, maybe it'd be 45 minutes, but since you're here, we do longer worship. The sermons are a little bit longer. Sometimes offering is ridiculous, you know. So anyway, we'll, 
We'll give you two and a half hours a week. So if you're here two and a half hours a week, 50 weeks a year, that gives you 125 hours a year kind of with Jesus. Now, how long would it take you to get to 10,000 hours? It would only take you 80 years. <laughs> By the time you're dead. What am I getting at here? I can tell when people have been with Jesus. They've put in their hours with him. Not because they have an amazing smile. I mean, look at this smile, look at that. It's amazing, no, I'm just kidding. Um, not because they have an amazing smile, not because of how well they're dressed, but I can tell by the fruit of their life. I can tell how they respond. I can tell how they're walking. And we need to understand that our time with Jesus, our time um, with God, that the Holy Spirit can lead us in these times of intimacy. We get to know him, we get to be transformed through staring in the image of God, just being with him from glory to glory. Some people are like, I'm, I've been coming to church for 15 years, I've never been changed. It's been really slow. I'm like, are you putting in your hours? Like, you think this is where you're putting your hours? This isn't where you put, this is where we build community. This is where we celebrate Jesus together as a, as a corporate body, where we take communion together, where we, where we worship the Lord together, and where we hear his word and maybe some ministry time. But this isn't your, your 10,000 hours. I mean, it's supplemental. But the reality is, we need to actually fellowship with the Lord throughout the day. And we need to get out of the thinking that God isn't in our every day. The Holy Spirit's with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. So you have to fellowship with him on a daily basis. Let's read some scripture. John 14, 26, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is the one who's going to guide us into all truth. He's the one who is going to help us break out of the mindset that we need to lead our own life and we can actually start following what the Holy Spirit's doing and where the Holy Spirit's leading. Let's go to the next scripture further down, a couple chapters down, John 16, 8 through 15. He says this, and when he, when he comes, will convict the world. This, he is the Holy Spirit. Will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, who's that? The Spirit of truth, who's that? The Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is one of the key things of having the Holy Spirit in our life. This is one of the key 
things that Jesus even paid for, for this reconciliation when he died sinless and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. One of the benefits of that is so he could pour the Holy Spirit onto all men who receive Christ. And so now we have the Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit can guide us in our decision-making, can guide us in our fruit. Like when, we're, when we wanna act out in anger, we can actually act out in love. When we think we need to control a situation, when we think we need to control all aspects of our life, we can actually say, God, I'm gonna trust you on this. And I'm gonna let you lead me. Sometimes we think uh, uh, God's just gonna propel us somewhere and so we just sit and do nothing. But no, the Holy Spirit will say, no, you need to get off your, onto your feet and go and do. <laughs> you can't just sit idly. You need to actually do and have action because sitting idly is not uh, is not the thing I've called you to do. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through verse 12. It talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. How do we know the thoughts of the Father is the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is so connected to the Father, to the Son, that when uh, the Holy Spirit will guide us into how and, and, un, and give us understanding on how the Father thinks about something or, or where we need to go in our life or what we need to do or revelation in Scripture, not new revelation, but understanding Scripture. And so I want us to get out of our thinking that everything in our life is only a natural action and a natural consequence. We need to realize that there is a supernatural aspect to our life. And that sometimes natural things that are happening have a supernatural drive. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians, in Ephesians 6. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Sometimes we think that we can change our life and, and, and kind of achieve even blessing and prosperity only through natural um, actions and natural thought process. But um, I've, I've come to realize that our, our blessing doesn't come through a natural source. It comes through a spiritual source. That's through a Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. Our own actions will only get us so far, but when we actually surrender our life totally to God, he can lead us into all truth. Some things in our minds are not just our own thoughts. There's an evil work at play in this broken world. There's things called evil spirits, spiritual forces, fallen angels. It's, it's amazing in some denominations, I'm like, you know, they'll they'll uh, say that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today or they'll say that, that uh, when the canon closed or when the apostles died, there's no more miracles, there's no more signs and wonders um, and, and all that kind of ceased. But when, um, if the Holy Spirit starts moving, the, sometimes they're the denomination that says, well, that's the devil. That's demonic. 
and be like, I thought you don't believe in that stuff. We need to recognize that the enemy wants to destroy your life, especially Christians. He wants to destroy everything you're doing, wants to isolate you, wants to tear you down, wants to break you apart. And the way he tries to do that is influencing your mind. People don't realize it, but the the Holy Spirit is in you, but when we don't allow him to renew our minds, there's other voices that can speak into it. Now, I'm not saying that any of us are possessed or anything. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that because we have God within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. But things will try to attack you and torment you. Like, God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. That's an attribute of God. He's the only one. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That's an attribute of God. No one else is like that. God is omnipresent. means he's everywhere. He can be everywhere. He can be anywhere at any time. That's an attribute of God. Demons do not have those attributes. Demons can't read your thoughts. Demons do not know what you're thinking, nor do angels. A demon only knows what you're thinking when he or when that spirit speaks into your your ear. Like if I tell you right now, do not think of a yellow rubber ducky. It's impossible. (laughs) You're all gonna picture a yellow rubber ducky in your head. Because that voice said it, and so you think it. And some of your thoughts are not your own thoughts. Some thoughts that are being spoken over you are actually a spirit trying to torment you, trying to abuse you, trying to make you worry, trying to make you upset, trying to dismantle your thinking. And listen, when you say in your mind, if you're, if you're saying a prayer, you say in your mind, I rebuke that thought in Jesus' name, leave. A demon, a spirit, is not omniscient. It doesn't know what you're thinking. It wasn't served an eviction notice. It doesn't know your thoughts. Actually, a spirit that's trying to speak over you, tormenting you, wants to incite fear in you so that you don't verbalize. And actually, the more fearful you feel is actually a sign that you should verbalize. Because that's the only way a spirit is gonna know that you're trying to take authority and telling it to leave. Now, if you're visiting here for the first time, I'm sorry, I know we might sound crazy. This is a heavier topic, and one week I can talk about peace and it'll feel great, all right? So, but um, we're charismatic, there we go. So it's important that you verbalize it and you say, I rebuke that thought and the spirit behind that thought in the name of Jesus. And you are no longer have a right to speak those things over me or into my ear because they don't align with who God is and who God is within me. You have to verbalize that. And when you do, you will feel it break. And once the enemy realizes he can no longer take you down through that sort of strategy, that occurrence will become less and less and less until it's gone. 
Now, there's certain things that uh, happen when it comes to our brain. I mean, our brain is one of the biggest, um, most complex organs in our body that God has created and designed. I mean, people are, you know, with all the technology and the medical advancement, they still don't understand in totality how the brain is so able to operate on such low efficiency and power. It's just amazing. Um, and, and, and so the brain is this wonderful creation. And sometimes the brain medically might not function properly. Like there's a physical dysfunction. Just like your, your I don't even know if this is on the right, is the pancreas on this side, Margaret? Is it this side? I don't know. Anyway, it's just like your pancreas cannot produce enough insulin or too much insulin and you need a medical, uh, a medical intervention, which is totally understandable and totally fine, that's possible. And so your brain can also need medical help in trying to function properly and, and, and physical prayer, physical healing prayer uh, also needs to take place. That's possible. Um, but so some things uh, are, are a physical ailment when someone is, is having some suicidal thoughts, some torment, all that. Some of it is a uh, natural uh, trauma that they've experienced that they need inner healing from. And some of it is a spirit. And sometimes it's a combination of all three. And I'm telling you that because just because someone has mental illness doesn't mean you need to say, come out in Jesus' name. Sometimes they just need to be loved and walked through and given medical help and physical healing prayer, okay? But sometimes it's a spirit. I had a friend of mine, he's really um, in a really bad place in life and um, he came to visit me and while he was visiting me, he really was just unraveling and, uh, and behaving in a way that was not conducive for, uh, for a Christian, for a husband, for a father. And he just couldn't, he couldn't, he was just grasping at straws, like couldn't get a hold of anything. And, and, he, and he wanted to end his life and he wanted to, and he was just having these thoughts that, that it's not like he was being selfish. It's like he was being so tormented that everything was rotating around himself. He became self-centered. Couldn't see anything past himself. And so I told him a story. This is, I've learned this, that pastors just, don't always need to have the answer, just tell a story. So half the time I'm realizing, as a, this is my first time as a lead pastor, half the time I don't know the answer. Half the time I just say my secret pastor prayer, which is, God help me. I, I don't know the answer, but you know it's so faithful, he always does, because I'm just, I'm just willing to follow the Holy Spirit in this situation. So anyway, I'm telling my friend this story. It's a true story. Um, it's a documentary. Um, and maybe you've seen it before. But uh, the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. How many have ever seen the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco or have seen it on Full House? Huh? Yeah? You've seen it? You've seen it? Come on. Theme song's already playing in my head, okay? The Golden Gate Bridge is an iconic bridge, and it has um, a lot of people are attracted to it, tourists and everything, but it has this one weird thing about it in that um, many people um, will feel drawn to it to actually jump off it. And there was a, a film crew that were really wanted to study why people are doing this and trying to catch them before they do it. Actually, they have police stations to this day, uh, just there, police officers walking up and down trying to find people who are 
thinking of jumping, because it's just so. Uh, since its inception in 1937, over 2,000 people have jumped. Um, it has a 1% survival rate, less than 1%. 19 people have survived. It's a 25-story drop, and you end up flying in the air at 75 miles an hour. And when you hit water at that speed, it's not very good. It's like cement. Um, and in addition to that, it's right by the bay. So usually, once they go down, they get washed out. And they, they, they go re get retrieved, and they find oftentimes a body outside the bay. It's not fun. There was this young man who was 17 years old. Uh, he was going through a lot of difficult transition. His, it, he actually has a, a, a really sad story. He, he was born a drug-addicted baby, given up for adoption, um, uh, went from like house to house because he was a high-care type of child. Um, and then these wonderful uh, people, the Heinzes, had adopted him as a child and, uh, and raised him. And the Heinzes, uh, his parents, were going through some really struggles and they were getting a divorce. He was unwinding, unraveling. He was diagnosed as bipolar because he just couldn't get it together. And this is his testimony. This is his account. Uh, the film crew, by the way, um, had lied to the San Francisco authorities, telling them that they were filming, because they were filming from far locations with big lenses, and you can't just film, like, bridges like that because of terrorist, you know, possibilities. And so they said they wanted to, like, examine structural bridges, but the real reason they were studying it was trying to catch these people and interview them and try to talk to them about why they feel so drawn to this place. And, and, um, and, and so uh, he is in the video, but... Um, one day he wakes up and he, he's constantly hearing this voice that he needs to end his life, that uh, no one cares about him, no one loves him, no one wants him. And uh, he, is, he wakes up early in the morning and he goes to his father's bedroom and he wants to talk to his dad, but his dad is asleep because it's early in the morning. So he just, he doesn't wake his dad up. He sits uh, on the floor in the bedroom of his, of his dad's uh, bedroom and he's holding himself, rocking and crying. And uh, the voice just says, just go and do it already. So he gets, uh, he gets up, he goes, uh, takes a bus to uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. While he's on the bus, he's openly crying out loud while this voice is telling him, because he doesn't want to do this, but this voice is telling him to do it. People are actually not coming to him. They're making fun of him, like, what's, what's up with this guy? Can you get, you know, I, I think people just kind of equate it to maybe drug abuse or something like that, but they didn't help him. The bus driver opened the the door to his, his account and says, hey, buddy, you just gotta get off. This is the last stop, so he gets off. So he goes over to the railing of the Golden Gate Bridge and he's looking out over it and he's contemplating and he's hearing this, that you must do this, you have to do this, you need to do this. He's hearing this voice constantly and while he's contemplating this, someone taps him on the shoulder. He turns around and it's some tourists from another country and they said, hey, would you mind taking our picture? So he turns around, he takes the person's phone, he takes their picture, he gives it back to him, he jumps up on the railing and jumps head first because he just wants it to end. This is his testimony. As soon as his feet left the railing, it's like he woke up and the spirit left him. And he said, oh my God, I don't wanna do this, I wanna live. And he tries with all his might to put his feet first he had these Wolverine uh, steel toe boots. He hits the water, the boots explode off his feet because he's at such high velocity. His legs end up being shattered, but he survives. He gets sucked under and the Coast Guard, a, a woman saw him jump, had a friend in the Coast Guard and called his cell. So the Coast Guard was there in record time 
and they find him bobbing up in the bay. Oh, when he jumped, he said, God, help me. Prayed that prayer. When they came over to him, they found a sea lion was pushing him up to the surface. The guy said, do you know how lucky you are? This is a miracle. We've pulled, you know how many bodies we pulled out alive? He said, how many? One. No, he said, I don't want to know. He goes, I'm going to tell you anyway. One, you. Too often, we allow the enemy to continue to speak over our lives, to try to get us to do something that will destroy our life, isolate us, torment us. And I know for the majority of you, if that happens, you try to ignore it, you try to focus on something else, you try to go, but the reality is oftentimes it's a spirit and you just need to take authority over it. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. And when that thought comes, you take authority and you verbalize and you say, I am not agreeing with that thought. I don't wanna think that thought. And you, are, you have no right to speak that way to me. I'm a child of God. I command you, Spirit, to go now in Jesus' name and never come back. This is the authority you need to take over. Matthew 10, 1, it says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is Jesus giving authority over his, the, to, to cast out demons. 1 John 4, 4, it says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in the world? Satan and his little minions. Who's in you? God. And he's overcome the world and you've overcome the world through him. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and to renew our minds. Why don't you stand? I wanna pray for you. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. We're a community. We don't come here just to entertain you. I really don't have time for that. I'd rather just not do church if it was about entertaining you. It's because we're a family. We need to think of ourselves like that. We help one another, we support one another, we pray for one another. Every, every week our staff prays together. And I pray, God, would you send people who are supposed to be a part of this family? Would you call them here? So you might think you're here on your own will, but I've actually, I've actually got your number. I called, I prayed you in, okay? Don't think that you're just a coincidence. I prayed you in. I call you by name sometimes. And so God, I thank you for this family. Thank you that there's no coincidence here. That in your divine wisdom, your infinite wisdom, you've ordained us all to be here together. Lord, I pray that you would help us. You would show us how to go, where to lead. You would show us how to follow you. You would give us discernment and wisdom Lord, that you would highlight to us thoughts that are not our thoughts. 
thoughts that are sometimes so extreme we're embarrassed to even think that we thought that. But God, we know that many times it's actually a spirit behind that thought. Lord, would you give us wisdom so that we can identify it and take authority over it? I wanna pray for the men right now. God, I thank you for the men of this church. God, I thank you for their lives. I thank you that their lives are valuable and that you have a purpose for them. And I break the lie of the tormenting spirit that says that they would be better off not around. I break the lie that says that they should just go and get, get it over with or that they should leave or that they should, that, that they, the family would be better off without them. I break that lie in Jesus' name. I break the lie that their life insurance policy will take care of the family and they can be, and they'll be okay. I break that lie right now. Their family needs them, their spouse needs them, their children need them. And so I come against this, this spirit of murder, this spirit of depression, this spirit of torment right now in Jesus' name and I break its power. God, I thank you for the unity in this church. And I just, I, the Lord kind of gave me some direction. I'm just following his leading as I was preparing for this weekend that to call the men forward of the church to stand together. If you're a man and you wanna just stand together with us, united as a family saying, hey, we're here for one another. We're gonna support one another. We're stronger together and that the Holy Spirit is gonna lead us into all truth. And we're not gonna allow the enemy to isolate us. We're not gonna allow the enemy to keep us in a dark place. Every man thinks they can do it on their own. God, I thank you for these men. God, I pray that you would give them the strength that they need to lead their families, to follow the Spirit. We break every tormenting spirit that tries to speak over their life. I break it in Jesus' name. We speak truth over them. We speak unity over them. And now I wanna call forward the women of the church. If, you're, if one of your men are up here, come next to him. If you don't have a man yet, or maybe your man's not here, come up anyway, because you're a part of this church. Because I know a lot of women also struggle with feeling alone. Dan, why don't you guys up front, just come a little closer so people can come behind you. I'm not gonna be pushing people down today. That's another, that's another Sunday. Just, just, just kidding and just kidding. Yeah, we are charismatic. Just kidding. I'll trip you next Sunday. Just kidding. Um, listen, men aren't the only ones who deal with this. I know women are too. But this is the family God created. So Lord, I bless the women of this church. God, I'm so thankful for the ones who've just laid their lives down for you, God. I thank you, God, for their dedication, the grace that's on their life, God. 
to support and also lead families, Lord. Thank you, God, for the wisdom that is on them, Lord. Father, I pray right now that you would break off every stronghold, every torment of the enemy right now that says they're not good enough, that says they're not perfect enough, that says they're alone. God, would you unite the women of this church that they would feel a part of a community and that they would feel brave enough to be able to reach out. And, and even if we don't have the answers that we just say, it's okay, we love you, we're gonna be here for you. So we break off these crazy assignments of the enemy right now in Jesus' name, we cancel them right now. And God, I bless this church. Jesus, may we continue to shine bright for you. God, may Albuquerque get to know the kindness of our Savior. May they get to know you as personal Savior, Jesus, through the lives that are here today. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for freedom. I thank you for liberty. And I thank you for family. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. You're more than welcome to stay up here or go. But we are... So thankful for you. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Don't miss.